Well, good morning, Gospel Grace. Let's take a moment and pray together that the Lord would open our eyes to behold wondrous things in his law, and then that he's, he would give us grace to be able to obey what we see and live in the life that he's called us to. Do you pray with me? Oh Lord, words of 2 Peter 3 are ringing in my heart even as I come before your people with your word. Since we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth, let us be diligent to be found by you without spot or blemish and be at peace. Lord, that's what we want. We want the purity, the wholeness, and the joy, and the satisfaction, and the peace that you made us for to be true in our hearts today. So Lord, as we long for the day when you will finish your work and all will be right today, Lord, we want to make every effort to be found in you without spot or blemish. May your word help us in that today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Would you say amen with me? Amen. Well, as you can see on the screen behind me, we, um, we're going to be talking about sex this morning. Uh, the screen passed really quick, but it, it said wisdom for sex. I don't know if you saw that. Can we put that slide back up? Thanks, John. Wisdom for sex. Um, now, while some of you may, may need to know what I mean by that, okay, I don't think any of us need me to explain why we need to talk about that. I mean, all, all we have to do is, is stop and think about the world that we live in, right? I mean, we live in a world where just last year, at this time, the Deseret News published this article right here, okay? The beginning of the article, it starts like this, viewing pornography has become common in committed relationships, but for one in five couples, it's a source of conflict, according to a national study released this week. 25% of men reported hiding their porn use from their partner, while 33% of women said they worry about how pornography impacts their intimacy with their partner. We live in a world where so many people are texting sexually explicit pictures from their phones that the word sexting has become a part of modern vocabulary. We live in a world where teenage guys, in ways they probably don't even recognize, are already being trained to view women as objects whose value is attached to their bodies. We live in a world where a website that offers to connect men and women who want to be unfaithful to their spouses doubled its users over the last five years to 70 million, had, had one of its best years ever during COVID. Lord, have mercy. We live in a world that is, um, that is both endlessly fascinated with sex and also depressingly worn out by it at the same time. Do you notice that? Like endless fascination 
depressingly tired and even hurt by it at the same time. C.S. Lewis uh, called it something similar in his novel, Screwtape Letters. Do you know that, that book? Okay, it's, um, it's written as a sort of how-to guide from, from one devil to a younger devil in training. C.S. Lewis, he, he calls the devil's tactic an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. We need wisdom for sex, don't we? Here's how Proverbs 5 is going to show it to us. Wisdom for sex is this. Sex is a precious treasure that God gives to a husband and wife to enjoy in marriage. And in God's design, when that gift is treated like the treasure that it is, and it's kept safe, within the commitment and trust and sacrificial love of marriage. It is good. Anything else, though it may promise much, can only deliver that ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. That's the way of wisdom for sex that we're going to see in Proverbs chapter 5, a way that is good, a way of grace and joy and satisfaction in a world of pain, a world of protecting and preserving life and wisdom is the only way to find it, Solomon tells us. We need wisdom for sex. In our text today, we find three ways to find it. Three ways to find wisdom for sex. And the first is found in verses one through six. If you've got your Bibles out, I want you to follow along with me. Solomon is, is simply going to say this. He's going to tell us that wisdom actually speaks to the issue of sexuality. And the first way it does that is by showing you what is really going on when sexual temptation enters our mind. Here's what's going on. It's lying to us every time. It's always a lie. The temptation to pursue the good gift of sex outside of the good ways of God is always an empty promise that cannot deliver. Okay, so look at Proverbs chapter 5. See, the first little part, wisdom speaks to sex. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and that your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. And her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. There are things that look good, but aren't good. There are paths that promise joy and happiness, but they lead to bitterness and death. So the first step to finding wisdom for sex is this. Number one, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by the empty promises of sexual temptation. And in the opening verses of this chapter, here's what Solomon's going to do. He's going to paint this picture of the allure of sexual temptation. And he starts by using honey, okay? Honey. It may seem innocent. It wasn't forbidden by any dietary law. It may appear sweet and delicious which before the time of processed sugars and chemicals and candy and Reese's and Skittles and whatever else you've been trying to sneak out of your kid's trick-or-treat bowl, okay? 
Honey would have been the sweetest substance imaginable to them. And Solomon is saying, it may seem innocent or sweet, but it's not yours. It's outside of God's plan. It's forbidden. Though it may come with the allure of sweetness and the smoothness of inviting words, it is a trick. Don't be deceived. It may look like honey on the lips, but it isn't. It's actually wormwood. Okay, wormwood, which is like a bitter, even poisonous plant if you consume too much of it. It may sound like smoothness in her voice, but it isn't. It cuts with the sharpness of a two-edged sword. Don't be deceived. Now, before we go too much further, I want to acknowledge two things, okay? The first is this. I realize that any time issues of sex and sexuality are brought up, they come with a lot of pain, right? Pain from our own choices, pain from the choices of others that have affected us, pain from living in this broken world. And I want you to know as I begin that I know that pain myself. And I know that this passage is in our Bibles to tell us that God knows too. God knows. God knows the pain of sexual temptation and sexual sin and he wants to help us. We are not alone in this struggle, gospel grace. Though we live in a world of sexual folly, there is a path of wisdom to walk through it. And part of the reason Proverbs 5 is in our Bibles is to remind us that God has spoken into this issue through his good word to help us find our way out of the pain and the shame and the regret and back to his good design. Does anybody want that? Second thing I want to acknowledge is this. The book of Proverbs. It's, um, it's a type of literature that is wisdom literature, okay? And specifically, it's written in the form of a letter to a son, from a father to his son, okay? And if, if we rush past that, I think there might be some in the room that actually feel another source of pain. Because perhaps you've been made to feel like these struggles only affect men. And you felt ashamed because you know the struggles and temptations that are alive and well in your own heart. Or perhaps you felt blamed for the sinful indulgences of men that are talked about in this text. Or perhaps even you find the attraction that's described here as foreign because your heart is bent towards sexual desire for your own gender. Let me say this. Yes, the book of Proverbs is written as a letter from a dad to a son, but that certainly doesn't mean that the application stays there. This chapter isn't saying that men are victims and that women are at fault for a man's sin. Like if you keep reading down to 12 through 14, you will see that the blame is placed squarely on the son for his choices in going after the forbidden woman. And not only that, okay, the, the roles in this text, they could very easily be res- reversed. They, they aren't exclusive to one gender. Men are just as prone to seduce women, and sexual temptation is universal for sinners. 
This chapter is in our Bibles to show us that whatever our situation or our struggle with sexual temptation, there is a way of wisdom in a world of sexual folly. And the amazing thing is, the amazing thing is that as we read these verses, they are just as relevant today as they were several thousand years ago when Solomon wrote them. Right? I mean, we read these verses and we see that sexual temptation has and always will be a trick. It is always a lie. It promises something that it cannot deliver. So don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. You may think that sex is just about two bodies and you're doing what feels good. You may think that anything is fine as long as you love each other. You may think that you don't have to wait. You're getting married anyways. You may think it's just oral sex and you're not going all the way. You may, ju- you may think it's just you and a screen and some images and, and no one's getting hurt. You may think that everyone is watching this show or that show and the story's so good and the scenes go by so fast. You may think it's just a harmless, flirty text or a suggestive picture of yourself or a lingering glance across the table at work. Don't be deceived. It promises sweetness. It may sound smooth and seem so easy, but in the end, it is bitter as wormwood and as sharp as a two-edged sword every single time. And I wonder, let's just be honest for a second. Have you experienced that? What was so exciting and so thrilling and almost irresistible one moment suddenly becomes full of guilt and disgust when you're done. I mean, that that image or that person that you just couldn't live without, suddenly they become the source of significant shame and regret that you just can't shake. And you love them. An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. And I think the reason for all of it is because God has made his people for so much more than that. He made us for the path of wisdom that leads to life. And the forbidden woman cannot get us there. Look down at your Bibles. Look at verse 5. Okay? She can't get us to the path of life. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. That's a reference to the grave. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she doesn't know it. Sexual temptation, it can only deceive us because it doesn't even know where it's going to end up, okay? I think that's what's going on here. It can't get us to where we want to go because it doesn't know where it's going. And I think there's actually even scientific research that backs this up, okay? Came across a study that was done by two neurologists. They aren't Christians, but I think it illustrates this concept right here. Okay, they describe what living the way that Solomon warns about does to the brain. It's a book called Hooked. Talks about what multiple sexual partners does to the brain, especially before it's fully developed in a person's mid-20s. Okay, so here's what I read. 
I read that going from partner to partner causes the brain to mold in such a way that it eventually accepts, accepts that type of sexual pattern as normal. That kind of damage caused by repeated sexual encounters is in many respects more devastating than unwanted pregnancy or an STD because it poisons the brain's ability to form lifelong, lasting, committed relationships. Don't be deceived. But here's the thing. The same is true from repeated exposures to pornography. Like, our brains become rewired. And we can begin to think that, that either thousands of people exist to meet our one desire, or one person exists to meet our every desire. I mean, isn't that the lie on either sides of this issue? It seems to hit us one of two ways. Either thousands exist to meet one desire that we have, or one person exists to meet every desire. At least that's how David Pallison talks about it in his book, Making All Things New. And porn, it, it tells us that people made in the beautiful image of God can be looked at as commodities, and they can be flipped through like clothing on a rack until we find one that suits our desire or taste. But it's a trick, Solomon says. It's a trick. There, there is no warning label on porn. Porn does not tell you that every time you go to it, you sit down in the school of porn where you begin to learn three things. Real bodies aren't enough. One body isn't enough. Even a spouse's body isn't good enough. No one can measure up because it's not real. You know, I was thinking of this, porn, porn is as fake as WWF wrestling, okay? <laughs> Don't be deceived. It's always a trick, Solomon says. And, and actually what we need to see in this text is that learning, learning that is actually the first step in walking the path of wisdom for sex, isn't it? Like, do not be deceived by the empty promises of sexual temptation. Sex is a good gift from a good God to be enjoyed in his good way. Anything else, though it promises much, can never deliver. So don't be deceived. That's the first thing we see in our text. But then Solomon goes on. Okay? Solomon goes on. How can we find wisdom for sex? Well, look down at your Bibles. Verse 8. It's found here. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house lest and then he begins to describe consequence after consequence for those who don't heed his warning and in that we see the second step to finding wisdom for sex and that is this avoid destructive paths there are paths that lead to destruction and death and the way of wisdom acknowledges that and says it's not worth it it's not worth it. Keep your way far from her. It's not even worth it to even get near them. Don't just go near the door of her house. Avoid it altogether. And with that, Solomon is saying this in verses 9 through 14. So this whole section right here, here's what he's saying. He's saying sexual sin always complicates everything. Okay? This is like this complicating spiral of one theme that runs through all of it. And that theme is this. Loss. Loss. 
loss of honor, loss of time, loss of strength, loss of effectiveness, loss of resources, loss of rest in the choices that you've made in the past, lost. And it even goes so far as to say that though the sin may have happened in private, the loss never stays private, okay? So if you read this, it's actually written as a warning to a son about what might happen if he's caught in adultery, okay? That's, that's the specific context that's going on here. But the application falls on any sexual sin, doesn't it? Like sexual sin, it It's a complicated path that brings more loss with every step until the private life affects the public life. And Solomon says, every time. And I think many of you might know exactly what Solomon is describing here, okay? Like, you felt the sting of shame. You've you've lived in that fog of guilt. You've, You've looked at a credit card statement or a clock on a computer screen and and you've seen nothing to show for the money or the time that you've poured into indulging your lust. You, you felt that distance from others or even from a spouse because you know the real you, and you're afraid that someday they might find out. And Solomon is saying, before you go any further, hear this word of wisdom. Sexual sin is always a complicated path that leads to loss in our private lives, and it works its way out in public. Don't be deceived. Avoid that path. Avoid it. But before we go any further, I I have to stop for a moment and I have to remind you of something. And I have to remind you that though sexual sin is a path of loss that will cost you greatly, though it may even cost you relationships and friendships, I want to remind you that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. His name is Jesus. And right now, his word is offering you a way off the destructive path of sexual sin. He calls himself the friend of sinners. He is God with skin and bones and a brain and a heart full of desire. He knows what it's like to be tempted, but he exercised perfect self-control every moment of every day. The book of Hebrews says it this way, in every respect, he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Praise the Lord. The Bible tells us That for people who've been tempted and given in, who've sinned often and sinned greatly, there is an even greater Savior. His name is Jesus. And as you feel the sting of this text, may you turn your eyes to him. How can he possibly give us that way of life and be our Savior? Because of the cross. So as you look down this text, you get to verses 22 and 23. And I want you to think about Jesus' work for you. Yes, sexual sin, it ensnares like those verses talk about. And it will eventually destroy us. But on the cross, Jesus took what we deserved on himself. Oh, my friends, would you hear the good news of Jesus Christ in the gospel? On the cross, Jesus was ensnared, not for his iniquities, but for ours. 
On the cross, he was held fast, not by the cords of his sin, but by the cords of our sin. On the cross, he died, not for his lack of discipline, but for ours. He was led astray, not because of his foolishness, but because of ours. And the good news of Jesus is this, that we have a Savior who stands in our place for our sins, and he is our perfect and forgiving Savior. He died and he rose again with an offer of mercy and grace and no condemnation, like we talked about last week, to any who come to him. And to find wisdom for sex, we must first of all hear his call, louder than the call of the forbidden woman. Receive the offer of amazing forgiveness. Take his way of escape and walk in the path of freedom. You see, this text is not in our Bibles to condemn us. It's in our Bibles to save us. This text should actually be good news because God wants life for us. He doesn't want the death for you that this text describes. That's why it's here. Flip your way of thinking of it. God doesn't want the loss for you. He wants the life for you. I mean, there's this sad irony that rings in this text. It rings in the path of anyone who pursues sexual sin, and that's this. If the son is to grasp what he doesn't have that's forbidden, he actually loses what he does have. I mean, would you, would you just think about that for a second? That's what's going on here, right? In grasping for what we don't have that's forbidden, we actually lose what we do have. Wisdom for sex isn't about God keeping something from us. It's actually about not losing what we do have in him. Solomon isn't being restrictive. He's being protective here. He's protecting the good gift that God says can only be enjoyed in his good way. And I think this is important for us to think about. Okay, so I was, I was actually trying to think of a way to illustrate this concept. And I, I came across an illustration by Paul Tripp in his book, Sex in a Broken World. He talks about how boundaries can be seen as restrictive, but when we see them through the lens of our good God, they're actually freeing. So to do that, he talks about a fence. Okay, so picture a 20-foot high fence. It surrounds a good world full of everything you could ever need for life. It's all there. Outside the fence is a world of danger where enemies and thieves roam freely. Now, there's two ways that you can look at that fence. You can look at that fence every day thinking about how maybe you could just get over it for just a little bit. Like you maybe shake it a little bit just to see how strong it is. You, you can press your face against that fence and try and peer through it to see what's on the other side until there's a crisscross pattern on your face. But if you do that, what are you really thinking inside? What are you really thinking? You're thinking that the good is actually out there on the other side. And the fence is in the way of you getting it, right? The fence isn't there to ensure that what you have is good. It's actually in the way of you getting at what you think is good. Paul Tripp says there's, there's actually another way of looking at that fence. And that's the way that I think Solomon 
is describing for us in this text. Someone's saying, when you walk in the way of wisdom, you actually turn your back to the fence and your eyes are wide open at all that you have. You don't feel disadvantaged, you feel privileged. You wake every morning not feeling restricted but blessed because you found a life of joy and satisfaction that you would not have found on your own. This is the God of the Bible, Gospel Grace. A God whose boundaries don't keep us from a joyful sexual life. They're actually the only way to a joyful sexual life in the experience that he wants us to have with it. That is the way of wisdom. That's what God offers you today. So would you, just, would you hear this? Installing an internet filter or giving your screen time password to somebody else isn't restrictive. Blocking somebody's number on your phone or breaking up with a guy isn't restrictive. Hitting an app on your phone till it wiggles and then hitting that little X in the right-hand corner isn't restrictive. Not lingering alone in an apartment with your boyfriend or girlfriend where you've struggled before isn't restrictive. Keeping your phone or your computer or your TV out of your bedroom at night, it's not restrictive. It's preservative. That's what the text is saying. It's about the preservation of all the good that God has given us in his plan for our lives. So, avoid destructive paths. That's what wisdom for sex is about. It's about not being deceived. It's about avoiding destructive paths. It's about submitting to God's ways because we really do believe that they are good for us. Which leads us to the final thing that Solomon is going to show us in this text. And that is this. Wisdom for sex is found by delighting in God and his gifts. How can we find wisdom for sex? Delight in God and his gifts. Now, I don't know if you caught this, but this is, this is a surprising text, okay? I'm up here to just state the obvious, okay? Like on, on first read, um, we might just think that while Solomon was writing this chapter, um, he actually took a break, wrote Song of Solomon for a little while, And then, like, instead of picking up Song of Solomon to continue, he picked up Proverbs and just continued right where he left off. Okay? And, like, if, if we're not careful, like, especially if we don't understand the God of the Bible or the way of wisdom, we can miss how the warnings of the first half of this text and the commands of the second half of this text fit together. Right? I think actually the more we understand who God is and the more we understand what sex is, the connection actually becomes very clear to us. Oh, my friends, God, God's a generous God. And sex is a good gift. And God is glorified when his people enjoy his good gifts in his good way. I mean, look down at verses 15 through 20 in your Bibles. Drink water from your own cistern. Suddenly the text takes a very positive turn. Flowing water from your own well. 
Verse 17, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. And as I read, I found that most commentators think that this is as explicit as it seems on first read, okay? I am not going to take the time to explain to you all that this means for two reasons. Number one, because I don't think I need to. (laughs) And number two, because it would be very uncomfortable, okay? (laughs) But I will say this, okay, I will say this. This is God's word. Married couples, here's God's plan. With your own spouse, as the text says over and over again, trace it, your own spouse, as the priceless treasure that they are to you, a treasure like the refreshing commodity of a consistent source of water, like a cistern or a well in a hot agrarian desert climate. Enjoy God's gift of sex, both in quality and in quantity. Now, some of you need to hear the quality side, okay? With a word like intoxication, God is commending romance and spontaneity and surprises and desirability and creativity and fun here. Quality. Others of you may need to hear the quantity side, okay? Look at verse 19. Solomon uses words like at all times and always in this text. An application for some of you in your marriage may be to talk with your spouse about ways that you can be together more frequently. Some of you need to hear the quality side. Some of you need to hear the quantity side. Some of you need to hear both. But it's God's word. And I want you to notice what Solomon is not saying here, okay? There is no phrase where Solomon says, if you are attracted to your spouse, then. Like, remember what Solomon's speaking to here. He's speaking during a time where arranged marriages were normal, right? Where couples had little choice like we do today, and they had to grow in their affection for each other over time. And in that, I would just say this. What are you attracted to is your spouse, if you're married. Make your spouse your standard of beauty. Notice what else he isn't saying. He also isn't saying rejoice in your young wife, okay? He says rejoice in the wife of your youth. In other words, as you age, continue to find your spouse that God has given you as a source of joy and delight, even as youth and vigor fade Solomon is saying, if you are married, then God has given you a gift, and wisdom for sex is found in enjoying it from God in his good way. Now, for those of you who aren't married in the room, Solomon is obviously directly addressing the gift of sex and marriage here, which for some of you could be an admonition to pursue marriage more intentionally than you are right now. 
It, it could be an admonition for some of you to consider wrong priorities that have sat in your heart that may be keeping you from pursuing marriage or being pursued in marriage. I love how one French author, I'm not going to try and pronounce his name, puts it, okay? He says this. He says, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. Solomon here is setting out a vision for marriage that should make you long for the endless immensity of its depths. Talk to any married couple. It isn't perfect. It does take work. Your spouse will be no more perfect than you are. But it's a gift. And for some of you, your application may be to admit that what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 9 applies to you. It is better to marry than to burn with lust. But I don't want any of that, any of what I just said, to imply that marriage or even sex in marriage is the only path to satisfaction. So would you hear this? Satisfaction isn't found in any one of God's gifts alone. Satisfaction is inseparably linked to the God of wisdom who gives satisfaction to those who walk with him on the path of wisdom. So, for all of us, embrace sexuality by submitting it to God and trust that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And for anyone who thirsts for the waters of a spouse and doesn't have one, or anyone who thirsts for a marriage that's described in this text and it's become very difficult for you, come to your God who promises satisfaction no matter what you have or don't have. I love how the prophet Isaiah speaks about satisfaction to us in Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. May we do that more and more, amen? God's plan for sexuality for everyone in the room, single or married, is this. Delight yourself in him and his gifts. For those of you who are married, that's the gift of your sexual relationship with your spouse. For those of you who are single, God has given you a gift of singleness, that Paul says actually gives you the unique, undistracted opportunity to see how following Jesus Christ is always worth it. God wants us to be so delighted in him and his gifts that the idea of sexual sin actually becomes absurd to us. Did you see that in his text? It's interesting to examine these two questions that show up in the middle. It's as if Solomon is saying, God has given you such good that sexual sin should actually be absurd to you. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with the forbidden woman? 
God's design for every one of us is that his way would be so good that we would see sexual temptation for what it is and then embrace the boundaries of his good design so that we can most fully delight in him and his gifts. That's the way of wisdom. The way of wisdom is found in not being deceived by the empty promises of sexual temptation. By avoiding the destructive paths of sexual sin and delighting in God and his gifts in sexual purity. Now, as we close, here's what I want to do. I want to take some time because this topic is everywhere today. And because we need to apply it to our lives, I want to give you three very clear application steps from this text. So how can we walk in the way of wisdom as we leave here today? Solomon's going to give us three things. First of all, this one comes from the fact that Solomon is, written, is writing a word to his son. Okay, so Proverbs chapter 5 is written as a letter to a son. And what I just want to mention is this. He is showing us that we don't need to be shy or coy when we talk about sexuality. So number one, talk openly but appropriately about sexuality. I have come to see that part of our struggle in this issue is how private it has become. And we can blame it on technology and we can blame it on our world, but we know our heart's tendency to take sin deeper into hiding. Solomon says wisdom pushes against that. We need the wise words of others. We need the grace of humble confession. We need the encouragement and the prayer of a brother or sister, friend, mentor, counselor, spouse. Men should be talking openly with men about this. Women should be talking openly with women about this. Husbands and wives should be talking openly about this text, both the positives and the negatives. Parents, you've got to be talking to your kids. And after a week like this, I am convinced earlier and more often. And students in the room, your parents should know where you struggle. They're for you. They love you. Your pastor's here. We are for you and we love you. You don't have to carry this alone. We should all be talking more openly but appropriately about it. And let me just be, let's, let's just be honest. I know that every single time we do this, it's uncomfortable, Okay. Speaking from experience in this moment. Okay? Some of these conversations may involve sharing things that you feel shame or guilt about, but none of them should be kept to yourself or alone. Talk openly. That's the first application. The second application is this. Take a step. Take a step. Wherever you are, whatever stage you are in, young, old, married, unmarried, mature, immature, wise, foolish, take a step. And the reason I say that is because all through this book, Solomon says the way of wisdom is a path that we walk step by step. We tend to think about the issue of sexual purity in in terms of like binary yes or no, okay? We tend to think of it in terms of we are either filthy or we're pure. But that is not the process of sanctification. The process of sanctification is just that, a process. 
It isn't either filthy or pure. It's from filth to purity. And God in his grace is meeting you today with another word from his holy revelation to help you live on the path of wisdom. So take a step. That means for some of you that there's going to be action required about the thing that God's been pressing into your heart about during this message. For some of you, that step's going to involve opening up with somebody for the first time. Like some of you singles, you really need to adjust your priorities. Some of you may need to humbly listen to somebody, help you take next steps. If you're idolizing physical attractiveness or you're holding out for the perfect person, that may be keeping you from a wise path. And a step for you might be found in noticing that and seeking the Lord about how to follow him. For some married couples in the room, you may need to humbly read Proverbs 5 together and pray that the Lord would help you obey it. But for all of us, take a step. What's yours? What's yours? Before I go on, do you know? If not, we're going to pray in just a second. Perhaps there's something missing in your heart that can only be given through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Turn to him today. Because there's, there's one last application point that I want to leave to you, and that's this. Turn to God. You probably will not remember everything that I've said in this sermon, but if you remember one thing, it's this. God is with you. God is with you in this age of sexual folly. He's with you every moment, even the moments of your greatest shame and defeat and your failure. This text says very clearly that God sees everything. Look at verse 21. A man's eyes are before the eyes of the Lord. He ponders all his paths. He knows our deepest and darkest secrets. This verse is saying there's no such thing as private with God. But what he knows never drives him away. He is a God of justice and consequences, yes, but he's also a God of patience and love and steadfast mercy. Today, would you hear the words of your God to you? I am with you. That's what your God says to you. I'm with you. Let it ring in your heart. Say it back to the Lord. Lord, you are with me. Say it fast and say it slow. You're with me. You're with me. Lord, you are with me. What other hope do we have, gospel grace? We walk out of these doors. We need a God that promises to be with us and help us. Lord, make us know that this week. Make us know that you are right there. You're close. Lord, that's convicting and it's comforting. We have everything we need in our perfect Savior. Help us to know that. I love how David Pallison says it. Whatever your struggle, I am with you, changes the terrain of the path. You start to see a fork in the road. There's a way of life in his hand. Your choices matter, and you can choose the path of life. A good road runs uphill toward joy and satisfaction. May God, the God of wisdom, teach us to walk the way of wisdom, even in the area of sexual sin.
those who look to him are radiant and they are never put to shame.